Hey, if you've got a Bible, James chapter 1, that's where we're launching from today. We have been in a series of messages that we're, we're entitling Grow, A Journey Towards Christ's Likeness, and we're looking at this one question. How do, you, how do you grow in Christ? How do you, once you become a Christian, how do you then progress into more godliness? We, we're not just here to just receive salvation and make it to heaven, although that's super important. But we're also here to reflect God's glory. And so for the past few weeks, we've been looking at this one question. How do you grow in Christ? And if you were to wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, Brad, I need three things. Three things that, that are absolute essentials to growth. There's three things that I would say. First, I'd, I'd wonder why you're in my house at 3 o'clock in the morning over my bed. Um, that, that's real usual if your name is Arabella, by the way, um, and who's my four-year-old daughter. But... I would, I would say to you that, that there's three things that you've got to have. Number one is the Word, the Bible. It's absolutely essential in our spiritual growth. Secondly, I would say that you need the body. You need the church. You've got to be connected. You've got you to have a group of people that you run with and you do life with. And third, you need intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to be looking at that first aspect, the Word, the Bible. And here's my... Here's my goal today. As we look at a passage of Scripture in James chapter 1, my whole goal today is just to motivate you, to cajole you, to exhort you, to implore you, to, to, to fill in your adjective, I've ran out of them, to, to inspire you to make the Bible central in your life if it is not already central or to remind you of the, report, of the importance of making the Bible absolutely central in your life, if, if it is already. And so that, that's all we're going to do today. We're not going to um, go through a bunch of little Bible study techniques or uh, a bunch of little steps. I've got a couple suggestions at the end. But today I just want to infuse you or re-infuse you with a passion and a longing for the Scriptures, which is central to the life of a Christian. Is that a deal? All right, let's go. James chapter 1. I'm going to read, and then, uh, then we're going to pray, and we're going to, we're going to unpack it. Let's start in James chapter 1, verse 19. And just so you know, this is a book in the New Testament, obviously, that was written by a man who was the half-brother of Jesus. James, he was a half-brother because, obviously, Joseph was his biological father, and, and Mary was his mom. He was the younger brother of Jesus. And... Um, and, and just in case you've been the type of person that's struggling with doubt or like Garrett Lee just sang about a guy that, that didn't become a Christian until he was 50 years old, James is the brother of Jesus and doesn't really become a Christian until after the resurrection. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I would have a problem if my big brother walked around saying he was God too. I mean, it was a stumbling block for him. But I mean, so if you're struggling with faith in Christ, be encouraged. The brother of Jesus took a while. But he gets transformed, he gets rescued from his sin, he becomes one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem in the book of Acts, and then he ends up writing this book to Jewish Christians that we know of as James. And he writes in James chapter 1, verse 19, I'm going to read through 25, then we'll pray and uh, unpack it. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word 
and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this, person, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Well, let's pray and ask God to help us as we break this down. God, thank you for the Bible. There are people that love you like we do, that know you as their Savior, that worship you as their King, that are in countries and parts of the world where they don't have Bibles laying around everywhere. There are underground churches in communist countries that are working off of one page from the Gospel of John, longing for a smuggled Bible to come into their country. There are men in the history of the church like John Wycliffe who risked his life and eventually died a painful death because of his efforts to translate this Bible into our language of English. There's a man a couple hundred years later in the 1500s named Martin Luther who became the courageous reformer of the church who risked his life to translate the Bible from the original languages in Latin into his native tongue of German which set ablaze the Protestant Reformation and is the reason that many of us know you as our Savior today. There are missionaries through the centuries who risked their lives and died the death of martyr of a martyr to put the Bible in the hands of people that need it. And yet, God, we, we handle it so casually. And so, God, I pray today that as we unpack this critical portion of Scripture that teaches us about the Word itself, God, would you by your Holy Spirit come and reignite the heart of the person who is, who is casual towards your Word, who may have be a Christian, have been a Christian for a while, but God needs an infusion of your passion for this scripture. And God, would you, would you move upon the soul that may, not be, that may not yet be a Christian? Would you move upon them by your word and would you cause them to be born again as we consider your word? And then God, I pray that all of us would leave this room today with a passion and a longing for the pure spiritual milk of the Bible so that we would grow so that we would be more effective in our lives for you, so that you would be more glorious to a world that we live in that is religious but mostly lost. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to focus our attention on verse 21 initially, and then we're going to work our way through the rest of the passage. Verse 21 says, Therefore put away... All filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let's take the last part of that sentence first, look at it, and then we're going to go back to the first part of the sentence. And then we're going to 
get on with the rest of the passage. It says here very clearly that the word is able to save your souls. What that means is literally is that the word is the thing that saves us. You you have to hear the gospel, the good news of Christ in order to become a Christian. God never saves somebody apart from the good news of the gospel and what the word says. If you have if you have your Bibles, just flip over one book to first Peter. It's just over James, then first Peter. And this is written by one of the apostles of Jesus, Peter. And this is what he says. He says some shocking, amazing things about the Bible, the word of God itself, as it is used to bring about salvation in the hearts of people. Check this out. First Peter chapter one, verse three. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So right there, that, that's like if you want a summary of the gospel, that is the gospel. Like God hits you and he causes you to be born again and he takes this 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 act of Christ dying on the cross coming back from death and with that act of Christ he that's how he rescues people because we're all we're all sinners and that's that's, that's hard for us to acknowledge i mean people are we are rebellious. Every one of us is born separated from God. And I know that goes, goes, goes drastically against what we hear in American culture. I mean, we think we're relatively pretty good people. Like, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a, a liar, a cheater, a felon. But we're all separated from God. Listen, I've been a Christian for a long time. And, and I'm, st- I'm still aware of my, my sin nature. Just, just yesterday, I was at lunch at somebody's house and it was a beautiful occasion i mean the food the setting the setting was was spectacular and the food maybe it's because my wife's been out of town and i've been rocking out the top ramen all weekend i don't know but the food was so good but as good as the food was the desserts man you should have seen the desserts i mean oh my gosh it was so good and i was at this table and to my left were these two folks from Crosspoint, and to my right was this lady that I know she's kind of an acquaintance. I, I know who she is. She knows who I am. And she was asking me a question, kind of she knew I was a pastor, was asking me sort of a spiritual question. And I couldn't concentrate because she had gone to the dessert table and she had gotten a brownie, which I had had three of them already, and they were spectacular. And she had just taken one bite of that, one bite of that brownie. I could tell she was done. And I... Like, my first impulse was to ask, like, are you going to eat the rest of that? But, I mean, that would be really rude and embarrass the host and the people sitting next to me, you know, front cross me, like, oh, my gosh, my pastor just asked for that lady's brownie. This is what went through my mind. I was waiting for her. I mean, it's just amazing. I was waiting for her to look the other way, and I was going to steal her brownie. Like, there's just this, I'm just, I'm just, I mean, she's talking to me, asking me that I could not concentrate because I wanted to steal her brownie off of her plate. There's this, and that's a silly little example, but there's this, there's this, like this sin nature in all of us, and that's a silly, goofy little example, but the point is, is that we are fallen, we are, we are away from God, we, we need to be rescued. God is holy and just and righteous. And how he rescues us is he, he sends Christ, God himself, in the flesh 
And this scripture tells us that he takes on our sin. He, he, he takes the penalty that should have been ours on the cross. And he absorbs the wrath of God. In fact, we, we sang about it in that song, In Christ Alone. He absorbs the wrath of God for us. And I don't think you can truly understand the message of Christianity and the central message of the word unless you realize that the wrath of God is just and is barreling down the road on us unless somebody pays our debt. And Jesus does that on the cross. And then all that would put their faith and trust in him receive the cancellation of the punishment for their sins and then receive Christ's character of righteousness and holiness. And that sets us on this path. And that's what that verse is saying. It's saying that he caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In other words, he has defeated sin and death on the cross. Okay, so that's, that's the gospel. But then look at this at the end of First Peter, and this relates to the word. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. In other words, the word. For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Listen to this. This is so important. Since you have been born again. In other words, you're a Christian. You've been rescued. You've been saved. Look, I, I was listening to a talk show on the radio the other day, and some guy was saying, he said on the radio, it was like a news program, he said, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but not the born-again kind. And I, I mean, look, we live in a cultural Christian place where a lot of people have vague understandings of Christianity. If you are truly a Christian, you have been born again. You were dead in your sins, and now you must be born again. Jesus says in John chapter 3, that you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again, meaning you have to be brought back to life. You may be physically alive. You may be emotionally alive. You may be a very successful person, but apart from Christ, you're dead and you need to be born again. So being a Christian means that you've been born again. You've received Christ as your Savior. You've trusted him in him as Lord. You believe that the resurrection of Christ was the only thing that saved you. And you, you were born again. And so it says in verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, listen to this, through the living and abiding word of God. So the first thing that we need to know before we even get into understanding how the word transforms us and changes us is that the word itself saves us this gospel like this. Like this news, like what this book talks about, which whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, it's all pointing towards Christ, towards Christ shedding his blood for sinners that would put their faith in him, then be born again in him and live for him. That's the message of the Bible. And that is the word of God that causes you to be born again. You don't become a Christian because your life is falling apart and you want to just live a little bit more moral or have a better ethic or you want to have your, your best life now. That's not, that's moralism. That's not the gospel. And so the first thing the word does is it takes this truth that we are dead and we need to be brought back to life and the word hits us and it brings us back to life. It's that powerful. You gotta, you gotta get that. All right, I'm going to give you an analogy. I see some young ones in here. Earmuffs time, parents, earmuffs. And this is, this is a biblical analogy. So if you're a younger one, earmuffs, mom and dad. Um, for those of us that have children, um, I've got four of them. And um, something had to happen 
before those four kids came about. Like we weren't just walking along and Jennifer just to say, I think I want to have a baby. And all of a sudden, bam, there's, there's Joseph or Abraham or Arabella or Jacob. Um, there was, again, earmuffs. I don't want any emails on this, but this is a biblical analogy. There was an egg. And then there was a fertilizing agent. <laughs> yeah, you got it. That, you see, this egg kind of represents the lost, the, the, the dead sinner, right? It's just there. It's got, in and of itself, it can't bring forth life. But this fertilizing agent hits this egg. We call that conception. Bam! At that moment, life, life, life. And, and that egg is, in this, in this analogy, isn't perfect, but I think you know what I'm talking about. That, that egg is like our, our life before we, we, we know Christ. And this, this, this fertilizing agent is the Word of God. It contains the power to bring life. And you hear the gospel. For me, it was March 16th, 1989. I had grown up in a church where they talked about silly morality and not the truth that I was dead in my sin and I needed to be brought back to life. And the first time I heard the gospel on March 16th, 1989, it's like, it's like the Word of God hit me and it brought life. I didn't decide that I was going to be better. I didn't have a tough time and just say, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to work myself into better morality. The Word of God hit me, and unbeknownst to me, there was a grace and a will of God that was operating before I even thought about God to hit me and bring me back to life. That's the gospel. That's what the Word does. It saves. It rescues. It causes you to be born again. Why is this so important? It's important because if you're a Christian, you didn't decide to make yourself into a better person and just work yourself into better morality. God hit you and rescued you. That should cause you to worship God more deeply and more passionately because I didn't decide on this gig. He chose me. He chose me, and that makes my, as First Peter 1, it makes my salvation unfading. And it causes me to worship because God hit me and he did it. I am not smarter than the next guy. If you're a Christian, you are not smarter than the next guy. God has just been gracious to you. And it should cause you to worship him more deeply. And it should cause more humility to rise up in your soul. That's important to know that. Secondly, if you're, if you're not a Christian and you're like, oh my gosh. Uh, it's not about me being better just doing better, that should cause you great joy. Because if you're even thinking or wondering about whether or not you're a Christian right now, I think that's very likely evidence that Christ is starting to rescue your soul and the Word is beginning to work on you and it's causing you to be born again. And and you may be going through the birth canal of salvation. Now listen, labor is different for every person. Labor is different. I mean, some babies are born like that. And some babies, it takes, it takes a while. And spiritually, you, you may have been wrestling with this thing for a long time. There was this Puritan preacher back in the 1600s. He preached a message. And this 8-year-old boy, I forget his name, but this 8-year-old boy was listening to that message. The preacher died. And then that 8-year-old boy lived to be like 103. 
And months before he passed away at 103, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, brought back that memory of that message of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And he became a Christian like almost 100 years later because of that message of the gospel that was preached to him. Now, now I hope it doesn't take 100 years for us. But the point is, is that, is that you, you, right now, if you're thinking about God, God may very well be causing you to be born again. And so here's the thing. If you're not a Christian or if you've been resisting him, you, stop. Because God's... If God's going to, he's going to get you to stop resisting, man. You are, you're resisting the creator of the universe. Stop. Stop, stop straddling the fence. Stop, stop acting like it's all about you. God is hitting you. Receive him. Stop resisting. Give your life to him. Truly be born again. Don't play little religious games. And then the, the final thing that I think this is important and we'll move on is, is that, is that, this should give us great confidence if we have a friend or a loved one who does not know Jesus. It releases us from this self-centered, kind of like, I've just got to do this. If I can just say the right words or if I can just convince. Look, the Word of God hits people. Have confidence in the Word. The Word is the thing that causes people to be born again. So if you have that friend who does not know Christ or that loved one who does not know Jesus, just just speak the gospel to them. Just in, in, in ways that you can weave it into conversation. Center your conversation on the scriptures and have confidence that it is the word of God, not human reasoning, that will cause a person to be born again. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. We have a very, very low view, by and large, of Scripture in the church today. But the, the Scripture is powerful. It causes people to be born again. And if you are resisting God, God, is, God, I believe, by His grace, will break down your resistance and overcome your resistance and cause you to be born again. And if you're a Christian, realizing that should cause worship to spring up in your soul because you are not smarter than the next guy. God has just hit you and caused you to be born again. I, I think that's... That's, that's important to realize that the word transforms us first for salvation. And secondly, it transforms us after salvation by simply hitting our soul and causing us to be conformed into the image of Christ. Listen to this scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. This is what happens when we expose ourselves to the word of God. It says, and we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Once you become a believer, once you are born again, this word literally begins to, to work on you. It's, it's this supernatural agent, this, 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 this agent of God, this catalyst for spiritual growth, it begins to just transform your soul. Even when you're exposing yourself to it and you don't necessarily realize that anything's happening, it begins to transform your soul. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 4, 4. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you're, if you're not exposing yourself to the word of God, you, you will not grow like you should. Paul puts it this way to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. He says, but as for you, Timothy, he's speaking to, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from a childhood you have been 
from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So the, the word comes in and it begins to equip us to be a better Christian. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11 says this, and this, this I, I think, especially applies to young men. In fact, it's speaking to young men, although I think it applies to every person who's a Christian. It says this, Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Look, it's hard, it's hard to yell at your wife when your Bible is consistently open. It's hard to be tempted with lust and all manner of stuff that the world throws at you when your Bible is open and you're regularly exposing yourself to it. The Bible has this way of, of just guarding us and growing us and working in us and transforming us into the image of Christ. It has this way. And, and again, the goal of this message is not necessarily to teach you how to read the Bible, although we'll do that at times. We'll maybe have some teachings at the point. But the goal of this message is to inspire you that if you are not if you are not consistently, regularly exposing yourself to the Word, then you will be suffering in your growth in transformation into Christ-likeness. The Word saves us. The Word transforms us. And now let's go back to the first part of that Scripture in verse 21. It's able to save your souls. Let's go back to the first part of that sentence. And then receive with meekness the implanted Word. That word meekness is really, really important. We got, there's a certain attitude you've got to come to the word with. And I, I think this is where a lot of us maybe have trouble. Is we're, there's kind of this innate arrogance with a lot of us where we come to the word and it's kind of like, well, I'm, I'm going to pick out the parts of it that I want to follow. And the other stuff that kind of makes me a little uncomfortable, I'm just going to skip over it. I lived many years like that as a Christian. Like, well, that, that doesn't really apply. I'm just going to hang out on this type of stuff that makes me feel good. But you have, to, you have to approach the word with a humility. This is what that word meekness means in the original language. It is an attitude of spirit wherein we accept God's dealings with us as good and do not dispute or resist. And so here's my question to you is, is, is how do you really honestly, no, don't stand up and tell me, I could get awkward, but how, how, do, you, how do you really view God? The word, are you, are you humble towards it? Do you let it run all the way through to you? Young man, young gal, are you letting the word speak to every area of your life? I became a Christian on March 16th, 1989, but I didn't really start obeying the scriptures till about 10 years later. And there were just parts of the scripture that I would just kind of put over to the side. Okay, you really... Are you really letting the scriptures judge you or are you judging the scriptures? What's your relationship like with the Bible? Is it relatively infrequent? Is it just kind of casual? Is it reading a couple scriptures here and there and then kind of putting it to the side? If that's you, 
I just want to implore you. I want to plead with you. I know what that's like because I lived a portion of my Christian life like that. And it was anemic. It was fruitless. And it was insecure and self-centered. What's your relationship like with the Word? Is it regular? Do you, are you consistent with it? Are you, are you in it? Is it growing in your life? James continues and he says in verse 22, after he tells us that it's the Word that saves us, because it applies the gospel. Remember, now the word comes. The spirit opens your heart. The word, which is the knowledge of what Christ has done on the cross, then, then it literally fertilizes your heart. It brings new birth. And then it begins to implant on your soul and grow in you. And the spirit of God then, as you walk in community, it begins to mature you into ever-increasing Christ-likeness. And then... He rolls out this section after that in verse 22, and he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So let me just stop there and ask a question. Is, is the Holy Spirit like putting something on your heart and you just know that maybe you're just not obeying what the Word says in some area of your life? Maybe, and this was me, maybe you are so unfamiliar with what the Word is saying that you don't even know that you're not doing the word. That was me for a, a good few years as a Christian. And maybe you've just decided to kind of sideline this and say, well, this is enough. Church attendance will get me through it, and I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of ride through this with sort of a quasi-casual Christian existence. I, I just plead with you, and I'm not going to yell and scream. I just plead with you, that, that's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. Is the word on your heart, is it hitting you? Is it, is, it, is it causing you to change? Is it causing humility in you? Are you reading it? Is it causing growth in you? Let me give you some tips on, on uh, suggestions on how to engage the Bible, and then I'm going to end on another verse. The first thing is, is um, establish a routine. Establish a routine. Establish a place. Now, I mean, I, I, I don't think you need to, you know, Get this instrumental music out and the candles out and, you know, have the little soft pillows or whatever and play the little, you know, the angels in the background. I mean, just establish a routine. But the first step for some of you would just to, just to like, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic here, but really just to locate your Bible. Like, where is it? Like, like right now. Like, I'm not beating you up, but I mean, if you're like a Christian and this is your regular gig and you're like... You're like, you just, you don't really carry your Bible around? I mean, come on, man. Come on. And we, got, we got stuff to do, man. We got a community to rescue. We got people to engage with the gospel. We got, we got, we've got, we've got to preach. We've got, we've got to make Christ glorious. And, and yet, by and large, we have a religious culture that, you know, people, people don't even bring their Bibles to church. And they, they couldn't even open it up to Romans. So do you know where your Bible is, and do you have a place where you read it? Do you have a routine? Like we, we know how to set routines, man. Do we not? If you have a DVR or a TiVo, do not raise your hand, but you know how to plan ahead and program, right? 
every day at 5.30 Eastern Time, there's a little red dot that comes on on my TV. And two sports writers by the name of Kornheiser and Wilbon are recorded on my TV. And, I, and somehow or another, I work my day to where I, I catch that, right? We know how to make routines. We know how to do it. So establish a routine. And for some of you, that may just me carry your Bible around. Take it to work. Have it in your car. Establish a routine. Second thing is make it digestible. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Begin by reading a small portion of the Bible at a time every day regularly. Whether that's you, you start in the Gospels or start with a proverb a day. And the goal is not that you would become a Bible scholar in a month, but that you would, that you would, you would establish this routine and make it a habit in your life. So, so make it digestible. Here's a recommendation. Start with maybe a proverb a day. There's 31 of them. And there, that would correspond with like the day of the month. Start with a proverb a day in the morning. And then maybe in the evening, read one chapter of the gospel. Start in Matthew and work yourself through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then just repeat yourself and make yourself familiar with the life of Christ. Just a chapter a day. Make it digestible. And when I mean digestible, not just one little verse. Because you can take things out of context if you just read one little verse. But make it digestible. Secondly, or thirdly, have a good Study Bible. I recommend the ESV Study Bible. This thing is, it is, oh, oh, it's better than the brownies that were on that table. It is, it is so good. It's a new study Bible that has come out in the past year or so. It is a spectacular resource. It is so good. It is, I, have, I have my share of study Bibles, and this ESV, the English Standard Version Study Bible, even if your ESV is not your version that you like, I just recommend getting it. Get the hardback version. I think it's about 20 bucks. It is chock full of varied, easy-read introductory notes that are just outstanding. Get yourself a good study Bible so you can understand what the Bible is saying in the, in the difficult-to-understand parts. Number four, do it in community. Like, we've bought into this myth where, like, our faith is private, and we kind of go behind closed doors. No, faith, look, you have to receive Christ personally, but then your faith is the most public thing in the world. Like, God is not just the Western ethic. Christianity is not just, not just American morality. God is the creator of the universe and the savior of the world. And so, yes, you have to receive him personally, but you, you live it out in community. As, as maybe just a, a way to keep yourself accountable in reading the Bible, husbands, read it with your wives. Set up a situation where you, you guys get together at night and, and maybe you just read a chapter to one another. That will, first of all, that will, that will incredibly alter and change and bless your marriage. And thirdly, it will give you somebody to kind of read it with. And if you don't have a spouse, read it with a group of buddies or read it with a group of girls. We, we buy all this curriculum and we run off and we, we flood the market. And forgive me if you work for one of the Bible bookstores, but we, we flood the market buying what this person or that person has said about the Bible instead of just reading it for ourselves. What if three or four guys got together and they said, hey, we're going to read a chapter a day at 6.30 in the morning at Panera. We're going to read through Matthew together. And then we're just going to shuck it down. What does that mean to you? Man, I don't know. I mean, was like, what was that all about? And maybe this guy has the answer. And we just pray in understanding. And the Spirit comes in community. But what we want to do is we want to buy our silly little books with their cute covers, run back behind closed doors, and let, read the first couple chapters of that book, lose interest in it, and then act like we're reading the Bible. 
But we're not. I'm getting close to some toes. I'm sorry. I'll back off. Read the Bible in community. Get together with some dudes or some sisters and read the Bible together. The growth, the fruitfulness, the glory of Christ depends on whether or not Christians take it serious. Read it together. The fifth thing is is be honest. Be honest with where you are and ask questions. Part of the problem is in the South, in the Bible Belt, as a lot of us have grown up in the church, and we're so into it now that we feel like we should know a lot more than we actually do, and it would just be horrifying for some of us to realize that we could not really summarize like the book of Romans. And so we just kind of keep our distance from people, and it causes just causes impotence. It stunts our growth. We can't really grow. A couple common objections, just two of them. Number one, I hear this a lot. Well, the Bible is really hard to understand. Yeah. And so was English when you were a baby. Yeah. But did that stop you? Some of you, look, I don't mean this to be hard. Some of you just need to admit that you're spiritual babies. Yeah, the Bible can be very hard to understand. But so was English when you first started learning it. The second objection that I hear a lot is, is I get easily distracted. Yeah. And what do you think is behind it? I get easily distracted. How come I can focus on, how come, listen, how come I can focus on a report on TV or a website where I am reading about a sophomore quarterback in some obscure high school in Los Angeles who's getting recruited by USC who might be the best thing since sliced bread. How come I could read that whole website, digest it, know how many touchdowns this kid threw when he was in Pop Warner and and then get films on Rivals.com and watch this little boy run around throwing a pigskin. How come I can blow 45 minutes and I can be absorbed? I can know that Matt Barkley, who is the freshman quarterback at USC this year. It was the national player of the year for two years. And I've watched every clip of that kid on Rivals.com throwing a football. And now I'm, I know that he's second on the depth chart for USC. And he might beat out the junior, a guy by the name of Aaron Karp. And the guy who transferred from Arkansas by the name of Mitch Mustaine is now third string. And Matt Barkley, who's the new stud at USC, might be the starter this year because we have 18 starters returning. And we might win the national championship this year if we don't lose a ridiculous game like we've lost last three or four years. We might, how come I can do that for an hour? But when it comes to opening the Bible, it's like, oh, oh, why? Don't you think there's a little spiritual warfare going on? Who cares if you blow your life on football? Who cares if you blow your life on desperate housewives? Who cares if you blow an hour watching American Idol? Who cares if you blow your life Scanning the internet for ridiculous minutia. The devil doesn't care. But the moment you open up that Bible, distraction. Sitting at the table. Like, I can hear my kid chew in the other room. Does he really? Why does he swallow like that? What is that? 
It's the distraction of the enemy because he wants anything but for you to sit down and for me to sit down and engage the book that causes us to be born again and works on our soul and transforms us into the image of Christ that makes us more fruitful, that makes God more glorious, that makes people come to Jesus. Do you see what's on the line? Yes, it's easy to be distracted. That's why it's better to read it in community. And it's also a situation where you've got to sit down and say, God, I realize that there are forces of wickedness coming against my soul right now in my kitchen or in my bedroom or in my study. God, would you settle my heart down? Would you focus me? Would you give me the discipline to digest what you are saying to me? Would you do it? Would you do it? For some of you, it might just be as simple as making that the focus of your prayer and letting God settle you down so you expose yourself regularly to the Word. And so I end with this. I think this is our prayer. First Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. It says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants that are just barely learning to speak English, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So here's my first question. Do you long, do you long for the Bible? Do you want to long for the Bible? Do you recognize that you don't like you should? You're a Christian. You know that. But you just need to long for the Bible. You're tired of living kind of a defeated, insecure, listless, unmotivated, kind of pathetic Christian life. And you know you just want to be the person that knows your book. Look, I want to ask you just, as the guys come back in just a moment and play, just let this be your prayer. God, Help me long for the book. Give me a longing for your word. And secondly, he puts that qualifier there on the end and he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, if you're a Christian. So here's my next question. Are you, have you truly, traced, have you t- truly tasted God? Have you, have you received him as your savior? Have you been born again? Has that hit you? Are you resisting? Are you straddling the fence? You just kind of have mentally agreed with Christianity, but you realize that you've never truly received it and accepted Christ and allowed him to come in and become your king and your savior. Maybe that's you, and today you just need to stop resisting. And you need to trust in Christ. You need to repent of your sin. You need to receive him as your Lord. Well, let's pray. Lord, as we... <clears throat> as we prepare to respond for you, to you for a few moments. I pray, God, that we would be brutally honest with ourselves. I know this room is filled with some really, really good folks who love you and that... Uh, are serving you, but they, they want to serve you better. And, and for some of us, the obstacle to that is that we just do not have the type of relationship or longing for the Word of God 
like we should. And if we're honest, it's because we're so distracted by a culture that is so enticing and so attractive, but so hollow. So God, would you, first of all, help us repent of that? And then would you help us recognize that there's a battle going on for our souls and that we're easily distracted? And so, God, would you help us, would you let us cry out to you today that we would long for pure spiritual milk, the Word of God, as newborn infants that are hungry, that are hungry and needing to nurse. God, would you put that in us? We can't generate that type of motivation. We need you right now by your Holy Spirit to put that in us. Put it in us, God, to help us, give us a craving for the Word of God, supernaturally, by your Spirit. Come, move upon our souls. Then, God, secondly, if there's anybody in here that they've realized it's just become evident to them because of the Word, because the Word is fertilizing their hearts right now, that they're not a Christian. They don't know you as they should. Maybe they've known about you, but they truly have never received you and given you their hearts God would you cause that person as you say in your scripture would you cause them to be born again would you save them through the word of God and then would they do the necessary response of trusting in you repenting of their sin and their their self-reliance and then having faith in what Jesus did alone as the sole sacrifice that's acceptable for their fallenness, for their sin. God, would that person now trust in you and faith in Christ and his work on the cross? God, would you hit that person? my, My attempts to explain the gospel are so feeble, but you can overcome that and you can you can hit a soul and cause it to be born again. And so, God, we're relying completely on your grace to do that. Would you do that now, I pray, for those that need that. And then, God, as we worship and sing a song or two, God, would we respond to you? Would we long for pure spiritual milk so that by it we would grow in salvation? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.